This is episode 285 of the AWS podcast, released on December 23rd, 2018. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the AWS Podcast. Sam Alicia here with you. Great to have you back, and I'm joined by not one, not two, but three very special guests to talk about AWS Lambda and some of the really interesting new capabilities available to you to make the most of that platform capability. So first and foremost, let me introduce Alex Wood. Alex is a software development engineer here at Amazon. Welcome, Alex. Thank you for having me. Glad to be back. Good to have you back. Brian is also joining us, Brian Moffat, who's also a, an SDE, as we call them, software development engineer. Welcome, Brian. Hello. Happy to be here for the first time. Welcome. And finally, Marco, another one of our software development engineers. Welcome, Marco. Thanks for having me. Now, these three very smart people, much smarter than myself, have been instrumental in developing and working with the team on different components of AWS Lambda. Um, Alex has very much been involved in the Ruby capability. Brian has been very much involved in the layers experience and Marco around the C++ runtime. So we're going to come at this at a number of different angles. And maybe, Brian, let's start with you to talk about what the layers experience is in AWS Lambda because it's very new and it's very powerful, but it kind of takes a, a mindset shift to get your brain around. So maybe if you can tell us why you thought it was worth doing for our customers and how customers should use it. Before I dive into the layers experience, I just want to talk a little bit broadly about the the kind of bring your own custom runtime experience and how layers plays into that. So I've been with Lambda for the past four years, kind of working on and off on the various runtime experiences. And we've always wanted to make it easier for ourselves, but also for our customers to take the pattern of uh, bringing a runtime that uh, Lambda doesn't already support. Um, which they've been doing on their own with their own custom shims or custom libraries for a very long time and kind of cementing that experience or cementing the patterns around you know, how this is done. And so we, we we did that pretty much by defining a runtime API, which codifies the, the way you integrate a custom runtime with Lambda and you can bring your own experience. And the way layers plays into this is um, a subset of the story. Um, and it's, it's, the, the, the central theme for layers is about sharing. Um, it's about sharing runtimes or sharing common patterns um, or you know, to take a more narrow experience, sharing um, hard to build libraries, um, native applications, native libraries, native extensions that sometimes lang- different langu- language ecosystems don't really have a good answer for. Both Python and Ruby um, have these experiences where there'll be an extension library that isn't modeled within their package management ecosystem. And you've got to bring all these other uh, shared DLLs along for the ride. And Lambda hasn't really given a good answer for how to go and build these. And even if you do figure out the experience, there's not a very good way for you to share it with the rest of your company or your business. So even if you do figure out how to build it and put it in your function, um, you've got to infect your build tooling and your packaging story um, for every single one of your Lambda functions. So with layers, what we did is we introduced um, the ability for you to take um, your existing Lambda functions and kind of unbundle them into multiple artifacts. Um, and these artifacts we call layers, you're able to share um, with other parts of your business, with other functions, or with other people within the serverless community um, and kind of Take the hard parts, the the one-off work of figuring out the complicated build system, 
and share it with everyone else in the ecosystem and kind of share the share the love, share the benefit. <laughs> share the fruits of everyone's hard labor, I think would be uh, another Definitely, way to look yeah. as well. Absolutely. I think it's it's interesting. It's, it's it's an interesting use case, and certainly one that customers have um, have been talking to us about for a while. Because you're right. Whereas for a lot of applications, it's just simple baked in uh, functionality. In fact, uh, I think I challenged myself once to write a lambda function in Python that did something meaningful, but had no external dependencies, so I didn't have to package anything up. I just used what was in the Boto three and and the native libraries. But once you want to do something really tricky, like I do some some audio processing, funnily enough, using Lambda, and I had to have you know FFmpeg as part of that process, and bundling that up is not trivial. So it sounds like this is an approach to make that sort of work a lot easier. Yeah, absolutely. Once you, if you're the first person to figure out how to make the perfect FFmpeg bum- bundling for Python, you know you you truly have the flexibility to go and share that with everyone else. So how does that sharing take place? What's the what's the mechanism used for that? It's mostly IAM based. Um, it happens on a control plane. You, what you do is you, uh, once you've kind of figured out how to bundle this artifact, you uh, create a layer, which is a new resource type for us. And use our publishing APIs to create this layer. And then there is a publishing API that allows you to uh, expand the permissions for um, either users within your own AWS account or ecosystem specific accounts or uh, make it globally accessible. And once you've, if you have made it globally accessible, you might take the, the actual RN for that layer. So that's gonna be, uh, layers are regionalized resources. They're tied to your account. Um, they're very much like other you know, AWS resources, uh, but you take that RN, you kind of share it on a wiki or GitHub or whatever, whatever your, wherever you want to <laughs> share documentation for how to use this. And then other people can kind of include that uh, as is into their function configuration when they create their function. And you, you might do this with um, SAM, plain CloudFormation, or if in the CLI. But once someone knows about the ARN, they can kind of get access to it seamlessly from their own Lambda functions. So particularly in your own organization, as you said, that, that cross-team sharing and that building upon maybe a, a common known good platform or even uh, you know, security slash standards approved platform becomes really easy using this process. Yeah, and particularly for custom runtimes. Like uh, imagine you have your own internal programming language, you know, one that's secret to your company, important to your business model. You, you might actually take this layers thing and go, you know, go full hog. You might actually define a custom runtime with all the standard libraries for your secret private language. Um, and you actually might manage this on behalf of your own organization and share that and make that available uh, for function authors within within your organization. And how many uh, how many layers can you have? Like, what is there a, is there a limit of how many you should have? You clearly don't, don't want to get into sort of nested layer hell, if I can put it that way. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's a couple of limitations with layers. Um First, uh, a function can only have, I believe the number is five uh, layer dependencies right yeah. now. Yeah. And then um, layers can't depend on other layers. So you don't have a kind of a transitive effect. So it sounds like this is something that is very useful already and that, that five layers gives you plenty to play with. And then uh, based on customer feedback, we'll see how the, uh, the approach sort of evolves over time as to what the community wants to use it for. 
Yeah, that was one of the one of the kind of difficult things about designing this feature. We're we're very excited to hear how customers are using this, and we're always happy to listen to their feedback. Um, one of the things we were careful not to do with layers was to redesign package management. We 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 strongly feel like package management is best handled by the language ecosystems. We wanted layers to be. You, you a, don't think you don't think the world needs another another package manager? Oh please no. <laughs> well. <laughs> I, like 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 let's let's replace npm again that sounds like a good idea to me i'm not sure <laughs> but we, we we didn't want to make that story too much more complex we what we wanted was mm. not just a way to share kind of the hard bits but also to share other things like uh configuration files or uh like data models for machine learning things that might not fit into package ecosystems as well Fantastic, Alex. Let's let's jump across to you because you were dealing with a, a different problem. One of the the challenges that is always the the case for for dealing with a, a wide range of customers is every customer has their own preferred language, and Absolutely. every language serves a, a particular purpose and does things the way people like. And you can get into all kinds of uh, you know I'd probably term them religious arguments about which is the quote unquote best language. But certainly one language that a lot of customers are asking for support in AWS Lambda was for Ruby support, and you were involved in that one. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, and I almost take the opposite stance personally where you should use whatever language you enjoy using and find yourself being productive in. So if someone you know is coming up to me and says that they hate Ruby and would rather use Python, then, hey, go for it. But uh, yeah, we definitely had a lot of customers. It was definitely the number one feature request I've been hearing, even just on the SDK side, uh, for years was to have AWS Lambda support for Ruby natively. So when we had the opportunity to go and deliver that using this new platform, I was very excited to jump on that. And the response has been amazing so far. So tell us about the the Ruby experience. So this means that from a from a, a Rubyist perspective, I can write my Ruby code and deploy it in Lambda as a, as a native supported language. I don't have to do anything magical or special, do I? Absolutely, and I, I think the the feeling of a magical experience from a developer perspective is what Ruby was made for. Like if you ask uh, Yukihiro Matsumoto, who made the language, he basically made the language that he wanted to use. Mm. So in that sense, one of the most important things that I was striving for in the design of the Ruby runtime was to get it as close as reasonably possible to it just works. So for example, uh, for the story of dependencies, if you bundle your dependencies using, say, a bundle install dash dash deployment, which is kind of a standard way for gather all your dependencies in an artifact to deploy, then when you upload your function, it's just going to work. It knows where to look for your dependencies uh, without uh, you having to do any extra configuration. In cases of things like native extensions or binary dependencies, I think what Brian was talking about with layers uh, is another feature that ends up being super helpful where in cases where you need the system to have certain libraries, DLLs, SO files in place, uh, you can solve that once and then share that layer across many functions. So the, the main design 
push that we were going for was to try to make the developer experience as easy as possible. I think that's really interesting because that's you know ties into like you said the, the philosophy of Ruby and many other development environments, which is I want to make you productive as quickly as possible. Now this this is supporting Ruby two point five, and to be honest, I haven't kept up with the latest versions of Ruby. I think I was a, a two point user a while back before I switched language affiliations for various reasons. So is that a uh, useful version number for most people? Do they have to keep anything in mind when using two point five in the Lambda platform? So Ruby 2.5, uh, the, the minor versions of Ruby in the 2.0 series have generally maintained backwards compatibility with each other with a few small exceptions. So uh, Ruby code you've written will just generally work on this platform. What we wanted to go with as well was to take advantage of Ruby 2.5's uh, performance improvements over some older versions of Ruby. In Lambda, you definitely want to maximize your performance like you'd want to in any platform, but going with a faster, more efficient version of Ruby helps us get that customer experience of getting good runtime performance in Lambda. And what's the uh, response of the community been around the release of this as a, as a language option in Lambda? Well, I have to say I had to uh, get off Twitter at a certain point on the release day <laughs> because it was getting... A, a little bit overwhelming. Uh, I, I believe someone sent me a Bette Midler music video. And uh, <laughs> the, the, I, I think at least out. three individual people came up with the wording of this is not a drill. So I, I, I get the, I, I think the hardest part of uh, getting ready for the announcement was not spilling the beans early. So I was getting the questions around reinvent of, uh, is this going to be the year we're going to get Ruby? And I wanted to jump up and say, yes, yes, it is. Yes, But it's, yes. <laughs> I had to hold it to Thursday. Um, but the response has been incredible. I've been seeing uh, people writing blogs about the things that they're building using Ruby on Lambda, and it's super exciting. I can't get enough of it. No, it is great. I have to agree that one of the – the the joys of working at Amazon is seeing customers use things that they, they really want to use and, and enjoying it and the the – like I said, that, that that genuine sense of joy or happiness about something being available is really great. So we're, we're very focused on doing that. And I guess related to that, um, as we mentioned, the, the world of languages is broad and deep and storied and long, and uh, I will be talking about COBOL soon, so don't worry. Um, but, Mark, I want to come to you and talk about a, a language that is very heavily used out in, 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 in the software industry in general and has a lot of advantages for particular use cases, which is C++. And you worked on the runtime for that, didn't you? Yes, that's correct. So tell us about how this one works, because this is not a, a, a native one. This uses the new runtime APIs. So tell us about you know, what, it, what it does, how customers can use it, and why they might be interested in this particular option. Yeah, absolutely. So um, when uh, actually, I just want to talk about when uh, Lambda was first announced back in 2014. Um, I was actually among the audience at the uh, at that point. Uh, I was not working for AWS at the time, but when it was first <laughs> announced, um, I was really excited, and I figured like this would be um, you know ideal for C since the pricing slash billing model for Lambda is gigabyte seconds per month, which means the faster and less memory you use, the cheaper it becomes to you. Uh, as a customer. And this is exactly where C++ shines. It uses 
you know, the least amount of memory and it runs, you know, bare metal. Um, so I was waiting for C++ to, uh, to land. And then, you know, eventually I started working for AWS and, uh, it happens to be me who implements that, uh, support for C++. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Isn't so that amazing? It's almost like a be careful what you wish for. Type exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's been surreal. Um, so I think C++ is, is definitely not the, uh, the language that everybody should be, uh, you know, reaching out for. I think there's a place for Ruby, there's a place for Python, there's a place for all those uh, productivity-focused languages, but there's also a place for C++ where performance matters. You you, uh, you even brought up a, a, a point, and you touched on it when you were talking with Brian about packaging FFmpeg, because, you know, people do that because FFmpeg is, is, um, is written in native code, and it is native libraries, and you want to use that when you want to do audio processing. So for those type, types of compute where it's, um, it's intensive on the CPU, C++ is really the best choice there. So I think I, I'm personally super excited and, and to see what people would build with it and the types of applications it would enable in machine learning and signal processing and cryptography and uh, all those compute intensives, uh, compute intensive workloads. And so what did you learn as, as you were building this? Because you were building this from the perspective of using these, these new APIs that allow essentially you to bring your own runtime and, and you are implementing this, this C++ one. What lessons can you, I guess, share with anyone who's thinking of, of doing it for their own particular language choice? I think the Lambda team did a fantastic job making this um, easy to uh, integrate. Uh, I think it's really easy to bring your own language, if you will. Um, if, I, if you want to write a Haskell or a Scala one, um, it's really easy. I think the Lambda team did a really good job in making the API simple to integrate with. Uh, the challenge for C++ was mainly around uh, how do I make the experience so that you can build your Lambda or C++ Lambda on any Linux distribution uh, with any version and still deploy it uh, and have it work. For example, if you want to use Ubuntu or if you want to use Alpine Linux, uh, you can still do that and, and deploy it easily on, uh, on Lambda. Uh, what people had to do before um, when they were using Node, for example, and they wanted to run some native libraries, they had to build those native libraries on Amazon Linux um, or the AMI that is, uh, that is running on the, uh, on the Lambda backend to make sure that everything would work. Um, and also the packaging is, is usually tricky. Uh, all the dependencies, they have to package it in a certain way and you know, cross your fingers and try and you know, deal with the crashes and all that stuff. Uh, so w- the C++ experience you know, makes that a lot easier. It makes the, the, the lives of people who are trying to deploy native code a lot easier. It deals with, with those problems that people had to get around. You don't have to be tied to Amazon Linux, and you don't have to worry about packaging the dependencies um, in a certain way. And that that really does get rid of a lot of that complexity that that we deal with. And I, I know I had to do exactly that process you spoke about, and it's it's kind of not trivial. And if you have to move into using maybe an OS you're not familiar with or you don't use in your environment, that's just a level of complexity we probably don't want to have. So this has taken that away, which is great. And the the C++ runtime is actually also a kind of a reference runtime for others to use as a as a model for building their own, isn't it? Correct. Yeah, you, yeah. You can definitely look at the code um, um, and see how it, it interacts with the backend um, and implement your own. I, I'd like to point out that 
it is called the C++ runtime, but you can still write C uh, lambdas and use the C++ runtime just to interact oh. with the lambda backend. But your code can be pure C if you need to. Uh, also, this is modern C++, so C++ 11, uh, 14, or 17 works as well. So it's just I, I, I went ahead and I, uh, I tried to reach for the common uh, denominator. So I aimed for C++ 11. Fantastic. That's great. And it's good to know it's C as well. So uh, we should we should probably call it the C slash C++ uh, <laughs> runtime to make <laughs> <Probably>. it accurate. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to mention that uh, you brought up uh, COBOL. You, you, uh, this is something that would make you know, the COBOL uh, even, even possible. Like uh, you can do a complete COBOL runtime by implementing the APIs, or you can just um, do like C bindings to COBOL and deployed as if it's a C++ um, uh, Lambda function. Yeah, it really does open up a lot of options. And it's interesting, there's already some some runtime partners who have released uh, some different language support. So Alert Logic has provided an Erlang and Elixir runtime library. Uh, Stackery has a PHP runtime layer. And Blue Age provides a COBOL runtime layer. And it's interesting when when sort of COBOL came out, people were like, COBOL? Who, you know, who's going to start writing in COBOL? And you know, I, I would jokingly say, well, I'm going to because I know how to. Um, but in all seriousness, the, the purpose for these types of, of language support, and particularly the COBOL one, I think is interesting and wouldn't surprise me to see Fortran come out, is a lot of organizations have that genuine legacy code, like that really, really, really old, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 year code. I've seen that old um, that runs and no one kind of wants to touch it too much. And there's really baked in weird business logic, et cetera. But the platform is just old, old, old. And this at least gives you an option to sort of replatform without having to completely redevelop if you just can't unpick a lot of stuff. So it, it does fit a particular use case, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think there's a lot of um, not just COBOL, a lot of C and a lot of C++ code bases that have been written, like you said, um, 10, 20 years ago, um, and people don't want to touch it. And this, so, uh, this allows those types of persona to... Um, to be able to take advantage of Lambda, it opens up the door to, to those people as well. So it's not just uh, about performance and it's not just uh, about taking advantage of the CPU um, and doing it in the cheapest possible way, but it's also about enabling those people who are kind of locked in by uh, that code base that is you know, running and you know, tried and true. And uh, there's what, what can we do to make this work? Uh, on yeah, exactly. exactly. And one one of the other interesting things that that came up uh, a little while back in in some customers I was dealing with is that some of this code, particularly again coming back to the, the COBOL code, was written a long time ago when the hardware platforms and mainframes are running on were very capable for the time. But technology has moved on a pace uh, from many many years ago, and we've had situations where customers have been able to migrate whole sections of code off the mainframe and onto Lambda. Because the the lambda processing is absolutely sufficient for what was going on at a mainframe level 30, 40 years ago, which is again kind of interesting. And to your point, I think Marco, the the efficiencies. If the code is written efficiently and within pre existing constraints, uh, these days, given the the longer timeout and bigger capacity that lambda has, there's a good chance it'll run. It's worth giving it a shot anyway. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and one thing I would want to add on about the. Uh the ability of writing custom runtimes is I would definitely agree with the idea that they've made that barrier to entry very easy. 
I think speaking practically, when you start to think about writing your own runtimes and what goes into it, I think you'll find that a hello world runtime for a language is actually quite easy to do. And that is something that I find really exciting because I think that we're, we might only be scratching the surface, uh, the surface of what people are going to get done with runtimes. And a couple interesting practical tips that I would note for someone who wants to try it is the two things you may spend your most time on, uh, especially if you're trying to deliver it as a platform, is error handling. So looking at all the different things that could happen with errors in users' code and trying to make sure that you properly capture that and present that back to someone using your runtime. And then really thinking about like one thing you may notice is with Marco talking about how C++ dependency packaging works and where I was talking about how it worked with Ruby, they're very different because the way the languages look at packaging is very different. So thinking about what your user story is for a runtime you're going to write and how packaging should work for users in that language, uh, it's going to help you be successful. Because in a lot of ways, Lambda is... It's a different construct for how people are going to think about deploying applications than what you may have been doing before in these languages. So thinking to the way that serverless applications work rather than kind of the old persistent process method uh, kind of helps you think about how you can make a runtime that's going to do something different and novel for your customers. That's some very good, very good tips there, and very good approaches. And like you say, I think this is, uh, you know, as we say here, day one. So uh, it's very early in terms of the ad- adoption and use of this technology. And it's always fascinating to see what customers do with it, what the community does with it. And um, I think uh, you know, it's it's even nice to see uh, you know people like Marco who were in the audience in 2014 at the announcement, being part of the uh, the next generation of development for this uh, for this capability. It's pretty exciting times. Absolutely. Yeah, and I'm 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 just excited to see what people are going to build. Um, I know that a lot of our communities have been waiting for this a long time, and you know, definitely now, like I I really had to appreciate the way that uh, Werner structured his keynote announcement around this, where there was the anticipation, the all right, you can go build in Ruby, also every other language, so you know. <laughs> It's 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 here for everyone now, and I, I'm excited to see what's going to happen. That's pretty. It's pretty cool. So links in the show notes to all the things we've spoken about the uh, the, the runtime examples, the the approaches, uh, the guidance on how best to use them. And uh, firstly, Alex, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for being back. Does this make me officially a friend of the pod? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, Marco, thanks for joining us and sharing your experiences. Thank you. My pleasure. And Brian, thanks so much for showing us what's going on underneath the hood and uh, how to make the best of the platform. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And thanks everyone for listening. We do love to get your feedback, AWS podcast at amazon.com. And until next time, keep on building.